0: Alright, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you?
1: I'm okay, man. Um, I am, uh, <clears throat> as, I mean, by the time anyone hears this, it'll be over, but I'm about to play like a show today, which is going to be weird. <clears throat> Holy cow. Yeah, it, Like a concert? I guess that's what you'd call it. It's like outside, and it's free if you just happen to be walking by. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but oh yeah you're playing on a street corner nobody they weren't all happy days march um <laughs> but yeah so i'll be down i mean it doesn't matter where it is since this will be after um <laughs> nobody hears <here laughs> this till afterwards so that's it you missed it sorry sorry you missed it
0: uh well <laughs> This has been a great edition of Road to Brendan's Concert on the Street Corner with Brendan Kelly. That's uh, right. My name is Tim Crisp, and we thank you for joining us for uh, our first edition and last edition of that podcast. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. And speaking of regularly scheduled, y'all, thanks for uh, putting up with us for taking a, a week off there. We had some life activities get in the way? Brendan, you were in Los Angeles. How was it?
1: Um, It was great. It was great. Um, I had a good time. Saw some people. Did some creative things that I'm not really at liberty to discuss just yet. But someday soon they will come out and they'll be every bit as ridiculously stupid as I think uh, we think it is. So look forward to that. Uh, It's going to be fun.
0: (laughs) Can't wait to talk about that. Uh, yesterday, I took my riding mower out for the first time, mowed my lawn. And I almost took out my entire shed because I'd never ridden this thing before. And you start by backing up, and yeah, there were some casualties. Luckily, the entire shed did not come down with me, although that's pretty close.
1: Well, you know, that's uh, that would be in a very real way. It could have been your nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Speaking of Abracadabra, um, actually not speaking of Abracadabra, we're talking about Broken Van this week. Oh, the Broadway's yeah. compilation album from the year 2000. Now, Brendan, mm-hmm. last time we talked about the Broadway's, we were in person. It was our last in-person interview. I remember it fondly. Actually... Let me say this. Let me say this for the record. I don't remember it all that fondly because I roasted you a little bit on that podcast, and I listened back and I was like, "Yeah, that was a little bit. That was a little bit extra on my part." So I'd like to publicly apologize.
1: Well, I've been for waiting for this moment for time. months, Tim. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Finally, I can have some peace. <laughs> uh, yeah um yeah you know a lot's changed since then hasn't it um it's sort of like a weirdly appropriate segue because a lot has changed since um the broadway's existed and yet somehow there's fucking very i i don't want to say mediocre because it's the wrong word um uneven and at times terrible band uh (laughs) is, like, very, very relevant today. Um, Even though it's, like... You'd think it would not be, but you would be wrong. (laughs) It's, like, a lot going on in these songs. It's, like, nope, that's... It's happening today. Oh, yeah, that's... That's that rise of fascism that's going on here that we were talking about, you know? And it seemed, like, it kind of seemed alarmist and hilarious, I think, at the time. Looking back, we were like, oh, yeah, I was... It's like, no, maybe we're on to something. I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of weird.
0: Honestly, it, it seemed like when we talked about it in 2016, for better yet, um, you know, even then, it seemed like a little bit over the top. And then, yeah, it really... Uh, I mean, I think that it had become more and more relevant. It was something that like was more part of the uh just general discussion, especially living in Chicago when you're talking about, you know, particulars that had really only gotten worse in terms of the, you know, socio political uh commentaries. But yeah, listening to these songs, it's like, man, none of these things have improved.
1: No. Um and I mean you know, weirdly, that's like kind of by design, right? That's the way that the institutions work. I mean, they they work in mm-hmm. order to keep um, the imbalance sort of calcified, right? Like uh, that's that's the it's um, the whole purpose of an institution is to mm-hmm. is to really like <laughs> cement whatever's going on, so that it assures that the people that create that institution get like. Um, what they would consider to be their fair piece of it, which is, if you are not one of them, very obviously not a fair piece of it, but... Right. I I don't know that I feel like there's a lot of, like, genuine evil that goes into something like that. So much Mm -hmm. is just, like, well, no, 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 I mean, like, I need this nice-ass house, and, like, you don't know anyone who doesn't have a nice-ass house, and so it's, like, it's real easy to be like, eh, you know, and... Like, look, I put together this whole system to make sure I could have a nice-ass house. I, like, put mm-hmm. together... You put together a hegemony, you know? Like, there, there you go. That's all you got to do, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it, like, <laughs> it, it it doesn't... It's not... Oh, there's a lot of malice. I mean, like, you got a, like, a Stephen Miller or somebody like that who's, like, has malicious intent. But even then, you know, I, I think his malicious intent is, like... I think of these as, like, subhuman dog people... Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't want my family around subhuman dog people. And, um, you know, so I'm just doing what's right. I'm protecting them. You know, it's like not a lot yeah. of people see themselves as the bad guy, you know, like, uh, yeah. so it's, it, it's, it's really interesting to get older and like realize that it's like, it, uh, there's a great documentary about the, um, miracle on ice, um, Russia versus the U S and the 1980 Olympics. And, uh,
0: Someone was hanging out with Chris number two.
1: (laughs) Well, actually, we did talk about this, but I've I've watched this many times. I mean, I used to be a hockey player myself, but... uh, Me too. It was... um, But it's told from the perspective of the Russian team. Uh Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, that's when you realize, like... Oh, they weren't bad. Like, they weren't, like, the monsters that we, you know, were told they were. In fact... There were a bunch of, like, poor-ass people that slept in barracks up against, like, multi-millionaires who were, like, slashing Mm -hmm. their ankles and shit like that. They thought... They were like, we played heroes of ourselves. Um, we, We look up to them, you know? And then, like, these guys were like... Yeah, I don't think that the. I think this is a real affront to the game. Um, I don't think these assholes should even be allowed on the ice. If I'm being honest, <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. like, I was like, they, they were not bad people. Like, if if anybody was evil, it was the American team. Um, all those college kids. All those. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, Vladislav Tretiak, you know, who a goalie who could have. Dominated the NHL through the 70s and into the 80s. Uh, and then you got you got uh, shiny blue-eyed Mike Ruzioni just being like,
1: Yeah, that's right. Freedom. We were there. We were there for freedom. That's right. Yeah, well, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I could talk about this fucking goddamn documentary all day long, but... Um, yeah. I don't think it's going to be very interesting to a lot of people. So No,
0: that's okay. I just wanted to say Vladislav Tretiak just off the top of my head so everyone can know that I
1: bring it. That is You, you, you I hope you have some uh condoms uh on hand for <laughs> how late that kind of thing will get you. Um yes. <laughs> Uh, so when we
0: talked about the broadways last time when we talked about Broken Star Star, we passed over a lot of the history so we're gonna envelop um, you know the broadways backstory into this and also you know just kind of put all the pieces together Um, because this compilation it does end up putting A really cool perspective, I think, on the Broadway on the broadways. You refer to it as weird and uneven, but it opens with um, material that you recorded after Broken Star, and then, and then uh, the second half is all of the seven inches that preceded Broken Star. Um, And I think that one of the things that I find enlightening about this release is that similar to the slapstick discography, I think the best Broadway's material, or at least some of the best Broadway's material is what starts out this compilation.
1: Huh? I, I think there is some really great stuff at the beginning. And I also think that there's some really great stuff from the beginning of the band. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I do think that there's a lot of high points on this record. Um, also, a lot of like I think, weird low points. Uh, but it's only ambitious. How do I say this the right way? If if, if it's all home runs, you're not being very ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and the Broadway's. I, I can probably say plenty of negative things about the band, but I would not say that we were not ambitious. In fact, I think ambition was like maybe the most um, pervasive trait. Of the band Like more than anything else We just like had this ambition To be like Just bombastic And like The best And
2: mm-hmm. the,
1: You know The most Punk <laughs> I don't know Um <laughs> And uh Yeah they, You know Sometimes we even pulled it off uh, <laughs> But You know Then there's well, Other times <laughs> Where it's just like Wah 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 wah
0: So Let's, um, we've already like hit this point a couple times in talking about this band. Let's, um, when we talked about slapstick, I think you have a really good relationship with like what it was to, you know, to all of, to all of the group at the time, what it meant to all of you moving forward and how you sort of, um, internalize it as a part of your past and something that you are always not always but you look back on it a lot because a lot of people want to talk to you about it broadways is another example um but it's a very different one so how how is it like for you now because you you're much more dismissive of the broadways than you are of slapstick
1: well there's a few reasons for that for one um, the broadways just don't have like the same sort of like um. There, there wasn't a lot of like, uh, I'm like, oh, you're the dude from the broadways going on in my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it happened. Or like, when the when the Lawrence Arms first started, um, I might have mentioned this before, but like, we'd always be like, if we'd see a dude in a Broadway shirt, we we're like, oh, we have to stay away from that guy. Like, that guy's going to be the worst. And, Uh and, like, that was always the case, you know? And, um, like, so, whereas Slapstick, I think, Slapstick uh, had this, like, uh, sort of lightning-in-a-bottle energy, and it was, like, all these people are so brilliant. And, you know, like, the music was really sort of, like, dumb, but it still was, like, uh, sort of, riding the crest of a wave, no pun intended, that, um, like, was really exciting and, like, that people mm-hmm. really took notice of. The Broadway's was all those things, but it was all... I mean, with the exception of Rob, who's amazing, I was already in a band with Hanaway, and I'm in a band with Chris now, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's, it wasn't, like, this, like, singular experience. It was just, like we were just like sort of like weird mad scientists out in the middle of nowhere concocting something that nobody knew they needed to hear really, you know? So it, it's uh-huh. just a little bit different. It's not that, um, I mean, the, the, it was very formative for me as well. I mean, it was very instructive in terms of me learning like what my strengths and weaknesses were and like really coming to grips with like, eh, you know, like we started the broadways with the, like I started the broadways with the idea that I was just going to skip raft to raft into the next, like, biggest punk band in chicago you know mm-hmm. and, and i was like wah, wah. and not only is that not happening you're not even the fucking guy in this band you know and yeah. uh you know so it's like and it took a lot of like fucking reckoning with myself to be like oh i i get it okay so i can't just like shit these songs out because i want to have more it's like the quality is the thing you know and like which of these mm-hmm. work what works about them You know, and that's sort of where, you know, like uh, Evening of Extraordinary Circumstance comes from is like the distillation of that entire process of like, what have I done that's good? What have I done that's fucking totally shitty? Where am I at? Took some time off, wrote a bunch of country songs to like sort of like uh, cleanse my palate or whatever. And then when I came back, there was like this sort of like gallows humor of like, that's like part and parcel with country music. And also, like, the best, like, mm-hmm. emotional resonant parts of the Broadway songs I wrote. Because, like, the ones I wrote that were political were very rarely worth a shit. Um, and so, then that's sort of, like, the stew that brewed who I became as a songwriter, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think the Broadway's was very important in that regard. But, I mean, like, fucking nobody gave shit about the Broadway's, man. And it's it's hard to talk, like... There's nothing, like, more lame than some, like, shitty failed musician that talks in, like, hushed tones about his dumb band that no one ever cared about. You know what I mean? It's oh, like, God. back when I was in fucking Captain Turd, and they're sinking boats or whatever the fuck, you know? <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, people were like, ooh, Captain Turd, you know? And like, you know, and we really... That I mean that was the whole thing you could do whatever you wanted anywhere in Fort Wayne, you know like it's like shut <laughs> off dude <laughs> it's um i it,
0: I'm using this example as just an example for the archetype um and we can do with uh with the detail whatever we want 'cause it's it's full of them but um weezers second record Pinkerton was a massive flop after the blue album Mm -hmm. and you would get people I mean by the time I was like getting into music you know it was about the time that broken vans coming out um Pinkerton was already just like mythic in like Weezer's history and like that was the record that People that were, like, cooler than me told me to listen to. Like, oh, you like this? You should listen to Weezer's Pinkerton. Um, That was a record that the band very quickly, like, disowned moving forward. Um, And it wasn't until, like, years later that they really came around to it. And I think, like, just, like, you know, I don't think that they were excited about it. But it's almost it's similar to me in a way where it's like you have something that is that is so ambitious that falls flat on its face. And after the fact, there is like there are people clamoring for it. But it's sort of like, I don't want to relive all of that disappointment. I can't I can't bring all this positivity that you're bringing to it.
1: Is that is it similar, do you think? You know what I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot to that actually, Tim. I think that's that's pretty pretty significant. It's pretty accurate. Side note, have you ever noticed that like every single album Weezer puts out is a disappointment to its fans? <laughs> every single one. It's the only band that made like that's what their like definitive characteristic is. Every time they put out a record, all their fans go, What the fuck is this? Every time since the first one, yeah, and then like it's in like you get three records away and you go, well, actually, my favorite's the Green album, uh-huh. you know, and it's like <laughs> it's like, all right, well, I mean, what a weird fucking thing that's like to have that be your fucking relationship with your fans. It's like, well, if they don't hate this, we're not Weezer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so fucking. Um, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to that. I mean, like, I know when people would always ask me, they'd be like, how come the Broadway's, uh, broke up? And I always would say, cause you didn't come see us, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like, which Mm is, uh, in hindsight, a very, fairly bitter response. Uh, but, but, uh, I thought it was just funny at the time, but like, I can Mm -hmm. see that there's like a real bitterness in there now, you know? Um, yeah so yeah, um, so there I think there is a lot of that like mixed into it, and it's like, yeah, I think we thought what <laughs> you know uh, what we thought was gonna happen or what actually happened, uh not the same, mm-hmm. <laughs> so
0: when you when you and Dan Hannaway exit slapstick, was it um was it something that you two were kind of commiserating on, um, just being like, "Yeah," because I know that like you, you weren't really feeling ska.
1: No, as, is
0: a big part of it.
1: Yeah, I wasn't really feeling ska, and like um, there was there was some sort of situation where like something that I wrote, Matt kind of vetoed for something else, that I think maybe Dan wrote that. I didn't think it was... I was probably just bitter about the mm-hmm. whole thing, you know? But it was, like, the relationships were, like, sort of, like, seizing up at that point, just all around. And I know that, like, in Slapstick, they were having practices where Danny would just sing, and, like, I wasn't invited to the practices, and then Hanaway would tell me, but then me and Hannaway would go. And we'd have, like, practices where we'd just, like, jam out these mm-hmm. new, like, crazy songs that we had written, which are the mm-hmm. ones on here. And then one that I wrote that never ended up getting recorded called we all know that you can do it which is where Mm
2: -hmm. the
1: uh title of the one seven inch came from Mm -hmm. um it was named after like that dead child or whatever (laughs) um but um but so we started doing that and then we kind of had this like fucking exit strategy i guess in place and there's one day i mean the way i remember it maybe this is totally inaccurate but we were like I can't imagine this is actually how it went down. It's, like, so dramatic. Like, the way it is in my mind, there's no way it's what really happened. But I feel like we were at practice, and they were playing a song, and I was like, yeah, I wouldn't listen to this if I wasn't in this band. And Matt was like, well, maybe you shouldn't be in the band then. And I was like... Okay, and I think that was, like, just a conversation that we'd been, like, waiting to have, both of us, you mm-hmm. know, and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then I think Dan was like, yeah, I'm out too, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of like, mm-hmm. and mean like, sort of, like, shook up the whole thing, like, sort of like, uh, it, I don't fucking know, I was going to use some, like, World War One reference, but I, I'm like, it's too early in the morning for that shit, you know. But it's like when the Ottoman Empire jumped in on the other side, and you're like, ooh, we got a real thing going on here. Ah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so, so yeah, so we bounced, and we basically had this, I mean, we we were just like, how about uh, we take our two best friends, my awesome guitar-playing uh, roommate, Chris, Mm -hmm. and your awesome drummer roommate (laughs) rob i think it would be pretty easy to make this work out really well you know Mm -hmm. and uh and so we got together and it was just like um we we had like four songs to jam at the beginning and i feel like it was just like fucking magic and i remember we had this like shitty like boombox tape and like i went down to the fireside bowl and i'm like playing it for people and they're like uh and i'm like they just can't hear it you know what i mean they just can't hear what's going on Mm -hmm. in the actual recording well it's
0: funny that you mentioned the fireside bowl brendan because we talked about that on patreon
1: Okay. Hopefully, we did. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real fucking twelve monkeys situation here. That's
0: the plan. <laughs> uh, our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/better sandwich, is pretty much the greatest thing that has ever been invented. Brendan and I hang out the way that we always have, and sometimes uh, I have some friends. Come and join us, people like Chris Number 2, Brian Fallon, Matt Allison, who I actually had a nice conversation with, Brendan, while you were gone, something that I'll be posting on the uh, Patreon here, which I'm not going to tell anybody what it's about until after we post it. Okay. But it's good. Wow. Wow. But other things... Yeah, we talk. We are going to talk about the Fireside Bowl. Brandon is going to reminisce, and I'm going to be like,
2: wow,
0: who was there? Oh, another one of my old friends. Yes,
1: that's right. It was um, the, the Angry Joe and the Turd's boats. <laughs> oh, King Turd and the Sinking Boats. <laughs> I don't remember. Aye,
0: aye, Captain. <laughs> yeah. So... You can sign up for that over at Patreon.com slash Better Sandwich. It's seven bucks a month. We usually are doing uh, just a weekly episode of uh, just bonus content, whether it's a phone call or some type of uh, discussion topical with me and Brendan. Uh, It's a pretty cool time, and we uh, invite all you to join us over there.
1: Yeah, please do. As I peek out my microphone. Um, <laughs> when I, funny thing, when I peek out my microphone, I can see people listening. Is that right? Get it? Oh,
0: you just like bring your head from under the covers.
1: I peek out. Anyway. <laughs>
0: <sighs> oh boy! Oh boy! We're and just so everybody knows out there, we are starting early this week this is uh this is a, an attempt at a, uh, on our parts to try and get ahead of the game um it was 11 a.m when we started so we're, if we're dragging don't worry we're getting there
1: i only went to bed at 10:30, so
0: yeah i went to bed after than you but then again i'm sitting in this brown room it's hard to get any light on them at i face. mean 10:30 a.m oh <laughs> yeah that makes sense Mm-hmm. You look like shit. I
1: yeah, feel like shit.
0: Uh, <laughs> so Rob, DePaula, you said is uh, Dan Hannaway's roommate at the time.
1: He he was his best buddy. I don't remember if they were roommates actually. Like as I said that, I think that they both maybe still lived with their parents because Rob, I mean we're still young, you know, and it's a, uh, and Dan was like kind of fresh out of high school and then had just done a lot of touring with slapstick, you know, so. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I think that maybe they both still did live at home They did become roommates pretty quick After that Um, And uh, um, Yeah, he was like Dan's like childhood buddy Like very similar to like me and Chris They grew up together, started playing music together They had a band Before Slapstick It's called Mm Dropjaw We talked about that in the Slapstick episode Rob played the drums and then Dan was just like, he's a fucking incredible drummer. He's really very innovative, and that would prove to be true. Like Rob was, of all the ambition in the the broadways, Rob was definitely as ambitious about being like the coolest, weirdest drummer that had ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, just for his own, like I mean, he would say that too. He's like, I want to go down as like the fucking coolest most innovative drummer Mm -hmm. i I mean like there's a lot of fucking weird ass shit that he does on this i mean also in the honor system too like is this Mm
2: -hmm.
1: as their whole thing moves on in a different direction but um yeah so he was great He was a i mean the, the whole the whole thing was just like kooky it's like you know like the when you see those documentaries about like uh, Metallica and it's like, yeah, I know we got like four mad scientists, and we just went into the lab to create, but except for they ended up being Metallica, we ended up being the Broadways, you know.
0: How is Rob like just as a dude hanging out
1: with um, Rob? The the kindest, the sweetest dude in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Really funny. Um really like disarming, um very just chill i don't think i've ever seen him get mad mm-hmm. um which is really saying something especially considering the broadways was like a fucking waldorf salad of rage uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah um he's 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 fucking awesome like um rob's one of those dudes that like can really get away with, that like, kind of motherfucking you to your face, and then he just smiles, and you're like, well, I didn't like that, but uh what am I going to do? Fucking punch <laughs> this guy in the face? it's Which is different than Rob Kellenberger, which I said something similar to, about. Like, mm-hmm. what I said about Rob Kellenberger was, like, he'll say things where, like, in a room, or if anybody else said it, he'd get punched in the face, but he says it, and it kind of somehow brings the room together.
2: Yeah,
1: With Rob DePaula, it's like, he'll kind of, like... Could like motherfuck you straight to your face, and you'd be like, "I can't be mad at this guy." Look, you know, (laughs) look look what a good time he's having here. Like, it's just like he's just like charming and endearing in a different kind of way. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) yeah, he's he's funny, man. He he used to call Chris Little Mister, and Chris really fucking hated that (laughs) shit. Oh, I would
0: not like that. (laughs)
1: But you know, and like, he had a lot of shit like that. And, and, and like, if I was calling Chris that, he'd be like, "Dude, shut the fuck up!" You know. Uh-huh. With Rob, he'd be like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> "Well, that yeah. sounds
2: like a
0: great dynamic." You just got some like, you know, just kind of silent rage, and then um, you and Dan obviously um never had any issues
1: no never never um yeah i mean like at first the thing is that like when we were like sort of architecting this whole thing out like we were like such a squad in terms of like we just like well i mean all four of us but like me and dan were like always like together like talking through shit like um Sort of like Sentinels, you know, in some sort of, like, platoon or whatever. I know, I don't, those things probably don't match. I don't care. Um, (laughs) But uh, as it, like, moved further and further on, like, different sort of, like, alliances formed, and at a certain point, it was just, like, me over here, and then those three, like, kind of kicking it. I did make the mistake of also bringing my girlfriend on tour, which I do not recommend, um, and I kind of even oh. knew, it, knew it was a bad idea, but I did it anyway, and that, was like, really was, like, sort of the nail in the coffin in terms of any cohesion between me and those three guys. Except for Rob, I always, like, maintained, like, a kind of a coolness. Uh-huh. But, I mean, I can't blame anybody for that except for myself, you know? Like, you don't it's... fucking bring your significant other onto tour. That, that's a bad idea. Um...
0: Hannaway is someone that I think in the terms that you've described him and also just like seeing him at ground control. Yes. Um, I would imagine that if I, if I knew Hannaway, I would think in the back of my mind, and this is definitely, it's obviously me projecting cause I'm, I don't know. I've never met Dan, but he seems like someone to me who my energy would just be like, I don't think this guy likes me no matter what.
1: Um, no, cause he's really disarming as well. He, mm. um, like if he does like you, um, he's just like super gregarious and he, you know, like mm-hmm. the kind of guy that's like, what would you say? So, I, 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 fuck, say that again. That, that. Yes that's it Holy shit I don't believe <laughs> like I don't believe you just said that That's the funniest yeah. shit I've ever heard You know like that kind of thing Like where it's just like I, He's like a really Like a true like um, Sort of like libertarian And that like credit Where credit's due Kind of thing It's like mm-hmm. I don't owe you shit But if you fucking Like You fucking Work for it Then by all means Here's like All of my accolades You know mm-hmm. Back at you um, You know Which is like I think it's respectable, obviously yeah. it serves him well, I mean you know he's an incredible weird genius, and does incredible weird genius things
0: we'll circle let's circle back to um sort of the timeline because what I'd like to do is actually get into the release itself and then use that as a way to kind of go through the um timeline for the band so this comes out in the year 2000 on asian man records which is the same year as alkaline trio's self-titled comp It's also the same year as ghost stories and on a system single file so by then like where where is where are you and chris with the broadways where where do you think you are with dan and rob why Um, is this coming out on asian
1: man do you think dan just had the masters and put together the whole thing and then kind of like let us know that it was coming out Mm -hmm. you know um as soon as the Broadway... The, the Broadway was like a, a zit. Like, as soon as it, like, popped, everything felt fine again. Mm-hmm. So it's like we were still friends with those dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, but not until, like, the initial, like, sort of soreness wore off, you know? But by by the end of this, it was just like... I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And I think we were like... Or at least I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. Um, and I kind of saw it, like, in the final proof stage... Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that seems fine You know um, I probably had to contribute Lyrics to it or something But uh, I don't even know if it has lyrics in it
0: um, I don't think it does
1: Yeah, okay, well then I didn't Yeah, I didn't do shit um, <laughs> So the You know, at this point the Broadway's Was like Sort of, I think, in the In the rear view mirror for everybody. And we'd kinda like moved on from it and it was just like, Yeah, you know, that was a thing. This is pretty hilarious to call it broken van,
2: Dan mm-hmm.
1: Dan Hannaway, all the way, you know, and
2: Yeah.
1: You know, just like uh he was kinda like put a package together and it was it was cool. Um, and uh, I can't really think of why he would be so interested in doing it. Probably because I bet Mike Park probably was like, hey, I did, re- you know, pay for those recordings. And uh, also mm-hmm. here's the 7-inch. and I don't want to keep pressing the 7-inch. And then also Dan had the other 7-inch um, mm-hmm. on his own bicycle records. Yeah. You know, and, um, and so you just put it all on a CD and you don't have to keep repressing that, like, unprofitable shit mm-hmm. anymore, you know. So, I mean, it makes, like, sort of logistical sense to me why you do that, but um, I'm just speculating. I really don't know what the conversations were.
0: So, that's interesting. So, Mike Park paid for, I'm guessing, the unreleased material.
1: Yeah, I assume so. I mean, it's not like we did. Um, Well, I just wanted to clarify. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, no, I'm just thinking through it myself. Yeah, I mean... yeah, yeah.
0: When this comes out in the year two thousand, and we just, you know, spent time talking about how we are the champions of the world, affected the Lawrence Arms. Um, does Broken Band like come out to? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So with the Lawrence Arms, like when you toured, would you bring this? CD on tour with you to sell?
1: No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so.
0: Um, Probably mail-order exclusive from Asian Man?
1: Yeah, Asian Man mail-order exclusive. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, but I really don't recall ever like having a active crossover... <sighs> you know, mm-hmm. um, campaign uh, mm-hmm. going on there at all. Um, I mean, we tried to say, at first we tried to say ex-Broadways rather than ex-Slapstick just because Slapstick was, like, conjured so many things that we weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but nobody knew who the fucking Broadways were, so ex-Broadways conjured nothing.
0: Yeah, So it's just ex-Tricky Dick and ex-Baxter. <laughs>
1: That's right, yes.
0: Um, so there have been a couple uh, covers for the physical release. The cover that's on Spotify is the one that was the first jewel case CD. So that's the four by three collage pictures of a beat up van. Is that the Broadway's van?
1: Yes. Van- action- Vancules was the van's name. Yes. Uh-huh. Which is a great pun.
0: That is a really, <laughs> really good pun. Um, that. Is a piece of
1: shit band well, we're a real piece of shit, band I mean like, <laughs> <laughs> some funny shit happened in that band like um one day we we're <laughs> we we're in Cincinnati, and we we're leaving his last day of tour. Dan starts it up to drive home, it's like the middle of the night, and he's like, oh, That's funny, we had power steering this morning. <laughs> <laughs> And we, like, pull over, and it's the only time, like, we've ever, like, anybody's ever, like, opened up the hood of a car, and I've been like, oh, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Because, like, I I don't know, I'm not mechanically inclined, and we look in, and I'm like, yeah, right there, see where the engine block is cracked right in half? Yeah, that's, I'm guessing that's the the problem. Wow. And so we had to call Dan's dad, came out, towed us back. Uh Uh-huh. But then we all sat in the van getting towed, but just had to like duck way in the back because that's like fucking super illegal, you know? Yeah. Um, from Cincinnati.
0: That that's a long trip. Well, that's like five hours, but that's a long five and a hours. Toe, when,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's no cell phones, and so you can't be like, "I gotta pee," you know? Um, oh, you didn't?
0: Have, you weren't? Uh, you didn't have a cell phone back then? <laughs> no,
1: no, no. This was before that.
0: That was just the earliest adopters.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, um, I don't know, one time we got stuck. It was, like, where the highway went down to, like, one lane. Uh Uh-huh. You know? Like, and it was, like, metal, uh, concrete barricades on both sides. Again, we were coming home from a tour. And this fucking semi, like, jackknifed across it and, like, flipped. Whoa. And so we were just there for, like, seven hours. Uh huh. Last day of tour, just like sitting there.
0: I can't imagine that was a good tour.
1: No, no it was <laughs> a, the ending though, the worst part. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, it was uh, it was brutal. It was, I mean, and that's like, I mean, those are just like sort of sum up the broadways in general.
2: It's
1: just mm-hmm. like left. Oh, Even when we're trying to get out, it sucks. Uh, (laughs) I love that Tuesday Blows sticker. (laughs) Yeah. um, I actually think that that was when we did its tour. It was Broadway's Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we did the tour. Um, I think Stamps actually put that on our shit. Yeah. And so somebody just wrote blows underneath it and just, you know, waka waka, you know. Fuck with us. You'll get the, uh, <laughs> you'll get the, the full brunt of our heightened intellect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tuesday, blows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you getting along with Stamps on that tour?
1: Yeah, I seem to recall everybody was getting along pretty well. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's nice. Yeah, no, that was a really fun tour, actually. Um, <clears throat> actually, that was when I think I started not getting along with Dan that well on that tour. Hannaway. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of like a beginning of the end kind of thing. Like, for me, I don't know if anybody else like, noticed or cared, but I was like, nah. Like, I internalize that kind of stuff. And get, like, really... Um, in my own head about it. Mm-hmm. I could have also been, like, projecting a lot of things, but. Totally. You know. I remember there was one night we played in some basement, and Tyler from Tuesday, who was, like, Dan, had, he had, like, taken over as Dan's, like, main dude at that point. hmm You know, like, uh I mean, he was just, like, drunk, and he thought, like, we're playing, you know, in this basement show, and he's, like. Don't let these guys play any more songs. Just keep starting your own songs. Everybody just wants to hear your song, you know. And mm. we're like, oh, and Dan's like, Ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. you know, like, and it was like, uh, I was like, oh, shit's getting weird here. I don't know, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, shit was getting weird. Um, <laughs>
0: so yeah, this has a this has had a few different like covers and pressings um the original one i think it's funny that it doesn't say broken van it didn't say broken van until like a later version and then you had vinyl pressings in like 2009 where do you, where does this start to like gain traction do you think the Broadways as like a mythologized band
1: um i really don't know um I know when we did the Asian Man fifteen year thing, um, <clears> that all of a sudden there's people there that were like, you know, camping out selling zines based on the lyrics and stuff like that and mm-hmm. like there was like a there was like a whole little thing going on around it. Is that still going on? I don't know. Um, you know, was that just like a, a brief flash? Because I can't imagine that the Rodways are like more popular now than they've ever been or anything. like um seems to me like there's I think the I don't I don't know I don't I don't have any idea I, I like it seems so weird to me to even say like that the broadways is like this mythologized band even when we played like riot fest which is I think why those vinyls were pressed and all that kind of stuff you know mm-hmm. but I mean even then it was like they were I mean, I guess there's, like, 2,000 people there in a pouring rain. That's a yeah. lot. But it, it just seemed... I don't know. The whole thing is weird. It's very hard to... It's hard for me to even remember those shows as being good. Not that they weren't. Not that they were. <laughs> um, either way. But, uh, yeah, I don't, like... I mean, I'll tell you this. Like, Mike just... Mike printed the record, probably just put a new cover on it when it, the first pressing sold out or whatever, which probably took a few years. Um, then probably put another cover on it, because that's like kind of what Mike does. Mm-hmm. And then put out the vinyl once it so, seemed like a thing that would be saleable for whatever reason, whether that was like us doing stuff for like the Asian Man 15 year and then Riot Fest, or whether that was because enough people had bought it. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that I never felt like a groundswell in importance of the broadways mm-hmm. at, at any point, you know, like it's, it's such a, like, to me, it's just like those, those days and those tours and stuff like that. And ever since then, it's like a few random weirdos were like, Hey, the broadways here and there. It Uh always seems like it's had that same, like, steady stream of um, sort of very underground, um, almost like the weird, like, record collector kind of hipsters just, like, showing me they know it's up more than, like, really giving a shit about the band, you Mm -hmm.
0: know? Yeah, I could see that. I think also, like, the 2009 for a vinyl release makes a lot of sense, because I think that's when things really start to like pick up again for vinyl. At least Asian Man was starting to produce a lot more vinyl. Yeah, Mike
1: definitely time. definitely did like a whole thing where he would like like repress all of and so, in a lot of cases for the first time um Lawrence Arms stuff on vinyl, mm-hmm. you know. And uh yeah, so I think he was he was a big early adopter in terms of that like oh vinyl's going to become Like where we make money suddenly, Mm -hmm. as opposed to where we lose money.
0: Yeah. This is just in my head since I've moved, but I am finding myself saying, ah, but the CD is a much better form now that I think about it. Do you have a preference?
1: Um, I mean... To be perfectly frank, I'd rather just listen to shit on my phone because it's so easy. Uh, uh-huh. um, you know, and I'm just like trying to consume music for like fun. You know, like I'm not I don't need to like parse like the warm, dulcet tones of the fucking analog tape as processed through like fucking analog wax or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that shit's like not um it's not what I'm trying to get at here. You know, I want to listen to like fucking push it by salt and pepper and just like be able to put it on and like walk down the street. But uh I mean there is something really fun about vinyl Mm -hmm. and there's something really convenient about CDs, but the convenience of the MP three has sort of rendered the convenience of CDs to be very inconvenient and obsolete. It's like you have to have a thing, you have Mm -hmm. to like get up there and push buttons. Like it's it's like Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know, it's not it's not the fucking so Yeah, I mean, the CD is a superior format. I love, in any case, I love the art component of CDs and records. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids don't know about that shit, though. It's so weird. Like, um, our friend came to town who was, like, very close to us and, like, has known my kids since they were, you know, born. Mm -hmm. And... um, like the first person that ever like took them overnight that wasn't us, you know? She's like very, yeah, yeah. very much like their, their aunt, you know? Mm. And um, she's talking to my son, who's 12. She's like, What's your favorite band? And he's like, My favorite band? Uh, the Lawrence Arms. <laughs> she's like, No, what? for real, though. And he's like, Okay, besides them, uh, Blink 182. But then I was like, No, he doesn't consider music to be bands. Yeah. He doesn't know what you're asking him. Mm-hmm. He like only knows two bands because he knows me and he knows Matt. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So he 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 names the only bands he knows. Like to him like the idea of a band is not what popular music is right now. Uh-huh. Um so the like you know like the question what's your favorite band which you know obviously is like such a like identity identity dignifier. Right?
0: Yeah. Uh, for, that's a first day of school in every grade. Identifier. Question. Yeah. Whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made up a word. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, yeah, it was identifier and signifier mixed together. But, like, you know, like, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's like the, that's how you get to know somebody right away. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your favorite band? It's like, oh, Crosby, Stills, Nash. It's like, okay, now I've got an idea of who you are. You know, just on -hmm. on a very, like, broad sense. What's your favorite band? D aside. Okay. I've got an idea who you are, but now, you know, that's not a question. But kids, he didn't even comprehend it that way. Yeah. He saw it as a quiz. Like, can you name bands? Huh. That's really
0: interesting. Yeah. Remember
1: bands? No, I don't. I'm 12. that's, That's like, that's like the... It's like somebody being like, what's your favorite Chinese dynasty? Yeah. You know? And it's like, I don't know, the Han? Yeah. (laughs) Ming? I don't know. It's funny. It means nothing to me, but I got to feel like a name. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm.
2: You
0: know? Yeah. But it'd be like asking... uh, Asking me when I was 12, like, oh, what's your favorite, who's your favorite uh, character on Taxi? I'm like, what? Yeah. Danny DeVito? I think I've (laughs) seen him in a Nick at Night commercial.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it was just, it was very interesting. But uh, I don't remember why we got on this tangent, but I think that the the sort of salient, I I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say, that's how I feel the broadways is kind of like just sort of faded out into like this consciousness where they're more of a band that can be identified as a band that like, Mm -hmm. you know, me and Chris were in, you know, or Dan was in, or Rob was in then like a band with any sort of like real significance to people. But I think that's also not true. I just don't think I've seen that very much.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think like the, the timing of this, of this release is, uh, I think a little bit of insight just into the way that, like, physical media evolved from, you know, Broken Star. I'm sure, I think it only, maybe it only came out on CD at first. Um, no, this it was
1: on vinyl, too.
0: Okay. Well, Broken Van was definitely CD only until, oh, yeah. like, 2009, and then they did the vinyl, and, um, yeah, that's really... That's really it. I've been buying CDs lately. I'm going to thrift stores. I get them for 50 cents. They're great. I got a DVD player. It plays DVDs and CDs. It cost me two bucks. Amazing.
1: It's really better. I mean, at this point. <laughs> you Absolutely. You like a snooty DVD player. It's like, ah, you know what, actually, <laughs> fuck your CDs. Um,
0: <laughs> I picked one up the other day. I was at a Goodwill, and I was like, what, $4 for this shit? No.
2: No, 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 no,
0: no. Um, uh, so when it comes out on, on vinyl, we get the first seven-inch cover. We all know that you can do it. That's the cover that's uh, released for Broken Van. Um, and you see, you mentioned that came out on Bicycle Records, which was labeled label that Dan started. Yes. And that, that lists... 4152 North Greenview. Is that Chris's parents? It, it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you used that address a
2: lot for your yeah, we did. Yeah, we
1: did because, I mean, they, they were there. You know, mm-hmm. obviously it was their, like, fucking home that they were going to grow old in. And they did for a while. I mean, they've moved now. And the house is no longer the same house. It's like they tore it down and put up this weird... Mm very weird what's there now um Is it like a hyper modern box it's like a hyper modern series of shapes um it's like not really easy to explain it's like it looks almost like a like a yoga block and then um some glass that comes perpendicular straight up from that and then like a triangle and then, like, a long, like, kind of tube. It's it's very weird. Um, and it's, it's really weird to see that, like, the kind of bones of the house that, like, you know, Gladhand used to practice in mm-hmm. uh, is, like, mm-hmm. kind of in there still somehow. And it's just like, whoa, that's crazy. But, yeah, um, I mean, that was the, the place consistently that we could get mail. It's like my parents moved around a ton and, like, never lived in Chicago, like, since... I graduated high school and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Neil's parents were not really, I don't know that Neil's parents have ever seen Neil play music ever. Really? I don't think so. Um, they're very kind people and like, you know, we've stayed at their house, like when we've gone out to Minnesota and stuff, but yeah, yeah. I don't think, that's what Neil says at least. It seems like at odds with their personalities, but uh-huh. I don't know. You know how much of that has to do with Neil just not telling them, and them just kind of being older. They are older, um, but uh,
0: I'm looking at this screen view house. It's it's terrible. Yeah, I'm it's, sorry. <laughs> it's bizarre, right? Uh, yeah, everybody look uh, look on Google Maps. It's a little hidden by the trees, but you can you can see that there's some. Dickhead designed that. There's some shapes
1: in there. Yeah. Get the
0: fuck out of my face. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but,
1: but yeah, so so he really was the only one that had a place that we, you know, felt like, you know. Also, you put the address on a record back in those days, the, the... there was no reason to assume that, like, email was going to, like, really kind of come along and become this, like, thing. Mm-hmm. And there was no reason to assume that, like, correspondence was going to be, like, absolutely murdered by, like, the sort of, like, social media discourse. And so, like, nobody would even write a letter to you anymore. Right. period, uh-huh. you know. Right. So, like, so it was, like, you put this address on a record, you have every <laughs> reason to believe that. Twenty years from now this record's still gonna be around and people will still be writing letters to this. Yeah. What's the most likely place that will still exist in twenty years? You know? Chris's um, parents'
0: house, they won't mind. Yeah. But Ask your kid what what his favorite uh place to send letters to is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um So there's there's a little bit there's a little nugget in here that is only tangentially related to the broadways, but I'm going to ask you about it. Um, There's a catalog that comes with the first seven inch that advertises um, an upcoming seven inch on bicycle by the alkaline trio. Do you know anything about that?
1: yeah, I know it didn't happen. Uh, right. <laughs> no, I think, I think that like, when you know when, when the trio started, the Broadways was like kind of an established band around Chicago. We weren't pop- popular, mm-hmm. but we were more popular than this band that had nothing. And like we had our own label, which was sort of, in our circle, unique. At that time Mm -hmm. Like nobody had their own Fucking label It was like There was Labels in Chicago But it was like Fuck what Like Underdog And um
0: Johan's face
1: Johan's face You know we Like Those people weren't our people At all And so Yeah And um And so For us to have like A fucking label I think that the idea was like yeah, fuck yeah, we'll do a record with you guys. And then, like, all of a sudden, they were like, <laughs> rocket to the moon, yeah, you know? And then they were like, uh, about that seven-inch, I don't think we're going <laughs> to do it. <laughs> that's, that's, like, the best. I mean, that's that's really kind of more of a guess, but I think it's a pretty educated guess. I'd be surprised if that was not at least, like, three-fourths accurate. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me,
0: God, now now that I'm here, uh... So Rob Doran, the original bass player for the Alkaline Trio. I don't know anything about this guy. What's his deal?
1: Um, Rob Doran was like, he was an art student who, and a a very accomplished artist. Uh, He drew those original three devils that was on the cover of that first uh, Sundial 7-inch. And he was, yeah, he was the bass player in the trio, the original bass player. And what was really cool about the Alkaline Trio when they first started was that, like, between Matt and Glenn and Rob, there were all these, like, tall, skinny, like, super Aryan, blue-eyed dudes. You know, mm-hmm. that just kind of had that, like... I don't know, I always think it's cool when a band, like, everybody in the band looks the same, kind of.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, and the trio had that, but it was, like, in, like, kind of, like, a weird, artsy way, even though, like, Glenn would was, like, more, like aggressively, like, sort of punk, and, uh, you know, Matt was kind of like a goofball with, like, his fucking hat kind of to the side or whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. it was, you know, and and Rob was a little more serious in terms of, um, just presenting himself as, like, a sort of, I mean this with no disrespect to Rob, but, like, Wicker Park hipster, yeah, you know, and so, so it was, like, three takes on the same sort of, like, archetypal guy, and um, I always thought that was a really cool aspect of that band. They got Danny in the band, and I was like, oh, "That's not the case anymore at all." Uh, but you know, <laughs> fortunately, Danny's like so talented.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, it would have been for your lungs only then on Bicycle Records.
1: Maybe, yeah.
0: Or did I just did I just jump the gun on
1: that? You know, I, well, I don't know. I, I, You see, what I think is, it's more likely that there was never any plan for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, yeah, we'll do a 7-inch with you guys. And then, you know, everything started happening. They got signed to Asian Man. To, and I think, I bet Dan just probably put it in the catalog. Dan Hannaway probably just put it mm-hmm. in the bicycle catalog just to... um Sort of make it look more robust. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, like, a certain, like, illusion of, like, legitimacy if you've got, like, the more things you've got going on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to me, it's just, like, you're building a... I don't want to say a brand because it's, like, punk rock. You're, if you're trying to, like, lay the foundations for, like, something that someday could be, like, a punk rock institution...
2: Mm -hmm. you know
1: like the legitimacy is all about like other people believing in it already right so right so you just like you go hey any chance you want to do seven inch yep okay we'll put you in the catalog and then you're like some shitty unknown band and you go fuck yeah awesome Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm.
0: yeah yeah yeah. it's like you can't just say well we're we're just getting started here because that gives you that gives the outsider nothing to go off of you give them what you have, and then here are the plans for what's coming next.
1: Well, when we started Red Scare, Toby was like, "Yeah, um, the the Falcon record, mm-hmm. right, the the EP, which is the first Red Scare release. I don't remember what it was, but it's like Red Scare, like three hundred and one or something like that." Yeah, like he just started yeah. it in the middle, so it wouldn't look like, you know, mm-hmm. wouldn't look like a fly by night operation.
2: Totally. Although
1: here we are, fucking, or twenty years later, and it still is it's a fly by night <laughs> operation.
0: Yeah, but look at how many releases. It's like in the three thousands,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Um. Yeah, I guess that would be the logic for putting an upcoming split between the Broadways and Baxter in that catalog as well.
1: Yeah, you know, I I think there's a lot of, like... Again, we were so young. I mean, we are teenagers, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like... There's also, like, a lot of big dreaming going on. And it's like, oh, yeah, we'll do a split. We'll do this. We'll pay for this. This will pay for everything. And it's like, none of that shit's going to happen. But we didn't know at the time. You know, again this this band we thought was going to be like this like rocket to Mars, yeah, you know, and uh we thought the label was gonna be like the next fucking lookout or something like that,
2: yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. the
1: chicago like no bullshit kind of like i mean look look at the look at the bands we tried to sign, alkali trio Baxter um.
0: We got that Valentine 7-inch, which I kind of wanted to ask you about. Because anybody who hasn't heard that, that 7-inch is fucking
1: awesome. It's on YouTube. Yeah. um, That band features Rob's little brother um, on bass. So that's got a lot to do with all of that. Mm, Yeah, they're a great band. Um, Very young. Um, Dan Hannaway. Adjacent sounding mm-hmm. rock and roll band, um, totally. You know, but uh, yeah, I think that's the only other release ever on Bicycle that actually like made it to the universe.
0: Yeah, it's just the, it's just the two. Um, there's an insert, on, or the insert for that seven inch. There's a picture of a black and white. It's in black and white. It's a couple dancing in a living room. Do you remember that picture?
1: Uh, are you talking about the We All Know You Can Do It? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who is that? That's Chris in drag and Sean Nader. Get out. <laughs> yeah. I'm so happy I asked you that question. <laughs> yeah. That's so
0: fucking awesome. Where was it? <laughs> Stop talking and just taking that information. That's fantastic. Um, It's a really cool picture, too.
1: Yeah, I don't remember who took it. Um, but yeah, that's in the, um, that was in the house that Chris lived in before he went to Albion. It was the, um, the Lincoln apartment right above Uh Grizzlies, which was the place that served, uh, like elk ribs and bison burgers and shit like that. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, then Nader was a roommate there and, um... They, uh, yeah, they're just wilding out one night, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Nader looks like Uncle Fester in that fucking picture. Cause he's yeah, like, he does. He's, like, fucking skin-shaved his head. Uh-huh. And Chris looks, like, particularly dainty. I don't know, it's, it's very, very weird. It's
0: on Discogs
1: if you want to do
0: any digging, if you... You want to see Chris and drag and Sean Nader uh,
1: dancing with them in, in what appears to
0: be a lovely evening.
1: Yes, I'm sure it was lovely and perfectly above board in terms of <laughs> sanity and sobriety and legality. Um, The Broadway's
0: text, that logo, Who who originally designed that?
1: That is chris i'm pretty sure
0: yeah and he did the artwork to big city uh yeah yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't know that he did anything like that
1: um he doesn't really um Mm -hmm. it's chris and i both like sort of like dabble in sort of like the idea of like general like visual art and mm-hmm. also like sort of like handwriting, stylized handwriting and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, but like um No, I think that was something that he did and he just had it kind of around and he was like, This is pretty cool We were like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fucking real cool. But it wasn't like he sat off set off on a commissioned project or anything like that to do it. Sure. You know, it was just like over the course of, like, either being in school or having, like, a artsy girlfriend or, like, having an easel lying around and being bored one day and wanting to do something besides watch TV. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you, like, make a song or you paint a thing or, you know. Like, I mean, I've got paintings all over this house that, like, I've done, and nobody would consider me to be a painter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even after seeing the paintings, strangely. Uh <laughs> But I'm trying to think if I had any down here No, I don't have any down here but... Actually, I was
0: painting my, my old bookshelf Like, uh, listening to Broken Van a few times Because there's a Hobby Lobby across the street So I've just been uh, coming home with oil paints Never really thought to do it myself But it's like, this would be fun
1: Yeah, I mean, like, if you get an easel And start dicking around on it With the understanding that it's going to be dog shit Sometimes you can kind of, like mm-hmm. Figure out like how to do things on there, which is interesting, yeah, totally
0: um, did you know that there's a band in Japan called Big City?
1: no, um I did not. I will say I find the idea that that could have anything to do with the Broadways to be a a leap that could maybe reach from here all the way to japan oh.
0: <laughs> well it does because it's my friend uh matt nusko who is a uh chicago transplant living in japan started a band up there they're called big city
1: oh right on i mean it's not the best japanese band name i've ever heard but it is very japanese sounding Big mm-hmm. City. my favorite japanese band name is still let's go beach it's like That's a, a blistering one. hardcore band Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like Death Side. Yeah, Death Side is cool. So, um, after
0: you do the first seven-inch, Big City comes out on Asian Man. Was there? How did that? How did that go? That seems to deviate from the plan of your uh, your home base record label is putting shit
1: out. No, the idea was to do both at the same time, um. thereby like harvesting fandom from Mike Parks burgeoning but still fledgling at the time label you know really still yeah yeah I mean well he had slapstick and less than Jake uh huh um you know some of those good comps I guess M B 330 was probably doing pretty well at the time and then he was but I mean like I think that those were sort of the big things that Misfits of Ska, slapstick and less than Jake were really what he was like making his money on at that time Mm -hmm. um
0: god damn it really changed everything huh mm
1: -hmm, yeah but i mean it didn't change anything in terms of like what goes out of mike's garage you know yeah which is amazing yeah i mean if you are um i mean mike Park is extraordinarily uh frugal i guess would be a way you could put it (laughs) I can't
0: um, drive anything other than forty-four.
1: Yeah, dude. He's um he's he's a very interesting guy, but yeah, I think that we wanted to like use the juice from Asian band to kind of like help pump sort of like attention into a bicycle and then you know. The whole thing was pretty half assed at its Mm -hmm. inception. But Mm -hmm. if we got that Alkaline Trio 7 inch, things would be very different right now. It's true. I'd be sitting in an executive suite. (laughs) Instead, it's your basement. Yeah, well, I really had nothing to do with the label either. Like, um, Mm
2: -hmm. it was
1: all just pretty much Dan. And I think Rob did a lot with it too, but. Um, I guess Chris did contribute some logos uh, mm-hmm. for the broadways, but I really did nothing. So, yeah. Um, which this is real, real story of my life. I, I did nothing at all. Um, so, if I didn't already have such a good gravestone planned, I should, that would be a good thing to put on my tombstone.
2: Yeah. I did Let's... nothing at all.
1: Um do you
0: want to tell me what you got planned or is that uh we have to wait and find out?
1: No, everybody knows it's keep walking, pal. Ah. Of no name, no dates. Mhm. <laughs> Just keep walking, pal. Um, I've, that's been when I was 18, I made the proclamation that that would be my tombstone. Uh-huh. And I've been alive Again, I said this last week, longer since then than I was before, and I still maintain that that's the best tombstone.
0: I didn't know that that was an original. What do you mean? You made that up? Yeah. I thought you stole that from something.
1: No. Fuck. You're cool, man. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. It is. It is.
0: It is. I think that's why I thought I could roast you so much on the, on the first Broadway's episode, because I was like, oh, he, he's imperceptible to emotions. <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't come off as me being mean to a person. It's just the coolest guy ever, Brendan.
1: <laughs> well, and it turns out I'm a real softy, Tim. Um,
0: hey, let's talk about some of these songs. Okay. Floundering
2: is
1: um, That's a banger. This is a great song. This is one of the only ones that I like by me well, actually there's two that I like by me in this opening salvo, as it were. Um, uh-huh. this is one of them the This was based on a movie called Floundering. Okay. Um, Which is about the LA riots. Okay. And I watched it and it seemed. I'm sure it's one of the most heavy handed, didactic, like art school piece of shit movies now. Uh huh. But if you're a a young Brendan Kelly in the Broadways and you see it, you go, damn. Talk about speaking truth to power here, man. You know, like, (laughs) yo. And uh, who knows? Maybe it's still great. It's. It's obscure. It was obscure at the time. Like, I rented it from, like, an art house place, you know, so Mm -hmm. I don't even know. It might have even been a student film. Um, Even though it had some real, like, I think, I'm really stretching my memory here. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at the IMDb, so I can confirm. I think think the ass-to-ass dude from Requiem for a Dream was in it.
0: Wait, ass to ass, requiem for a dream. Remind me of what, uh,
1: what it's, that is?
0: Because I only remember bits and pieces of that movie,
1: and that's not one you remember. That's very. Weird. Ladies and gentlemen, let the record show fucking Tim Crisp doesn't remember ass to ass from Requiem for a Dream but he remembers something else uh, it's like the very end when she goes to like the, the coke party and they kind of like put her in the wrestling ring and it's like the huge oh yeah black yeah, yeah. dude and he's like uh-huh. it ain't gonna suck itself honey," uh-huh. <laughs> you know or it ain't gonna take oh. itself out of my pants or some shit like that and then he's mm-hmm. like alright now ass to ass oh. ass to ass dude what was
0: it in like the late 90s and early 2000s about just dragging every movie character into the worst shit.
1: Um, because the world was, like, totally fine then. Oh. <laughs> you know? Like, you're looking, at, you're looking at a universe that has not yet felt pain. Mm-hmm. Like, 2000? Give yeah. me a fucking break. August 2001? Everybody's fucking partying, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's like... It, so, yeah, it's like, you want to see art. Mm-hmm. It's like, ooh, let's let's see what it would be like if a human being was in trouble. <laughs> you know? And, and then that became, like, the permanent reality. And now it looks like capricious and cruel to, like, subject someone to that, like, through, like, a work of art. I mean, yeah. that's, that's like, delivered with any sort of, like, veracity as opposed to being, like, um, like a horror film that's, like, designed to, like, shock and appall or, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of film about love where at the end of the day you're working towards a greater thing or, mm-hmm. like, some historical piece. You could have a modern-era thing where somebody was just, like, through the dirt because it was like, yeah, it's not reality yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. You know, but now it's like, Ugh, no way I'd ever want to see that shit. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I think that guy was in it. But anyway, it was a movie about the LA riots and I felt that it was really, um, it had just like a really cool voice to it. I feel like mm-hmm. it definitely blended like in, in that same way that like medium cool like, sort of blended, oh, yeah. like, um, sort of verite cinema mm-hmm. with actual documentary footage and, like, yeah, kind of yeah, almost, yeah. Like, like, proto-Borat type shit, really, <laughs> in a weird way. Uh-huh. Um, uh, which I recommend if you guys haven't seen it. It's really cool. Borat? Um, yeah. I Borat. Think... Borat is, is a better movie than medium cool, and I'm not even joking. Um... <laughs> But, uh, the, uh, the takeaway from floundering that I got was, like, you can, like, you know, like, I put, like, the Rodney King quotes directly in here and stuff, and that was sort Mm -hmm. of based, from what I can remember, on the fact that they were, like, using, like, real news footage, like, sort of, that was, like at the time, very current, you know, like, and, like, sort of putting you in a, putting this, like, fictive world in, like, the very, very immediate real world, you know, and, like, Mm -hmm. utilizing nonfiction as part of the art, you know, of this fiction, and uh, that's really what I recall taking away from that story. Um and you know, obviously the movie had enough of an impression on me that I wrote a song and named it directly after the movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Doesn't seem like one that uh a lot of people would be like, hey, is that a is that a reference to Peter McCarthy's floundering?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's an obscure one, but like <laughs> I mean, like, the Broadway's trolled in the obscure so much. Like, mm-hmm. I don't even think that I was trying to be, like, check out my obscure knowledge. It was more just, like, we we just fucked with that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, uh, I, mean, I don't think anyone would look at the Broadway's and be like, oh, this is a hipster band full of, like, esoteric, like, you know like right i don't think that was really our thing
0: yeah there's no like there's no seven song ep that's just like based on magnolia but yeah
1: right yeah but like the the french version Mm.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: um yeah this is a song about a movie uh Mm. it's foreign film actually so yeah (laughs) yeah
1: yeah the um yeah, no, yeah, this one turned out pretty good. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I, the you know the reference of can we all just get along, um, which was Rodney King's quote, which has always just been, you know, as somebody who didn't like experience this stuff directly and has had so many instances of like looking back on it just through like a million different lenses whether it's like behind the music or like basketball documentaries um sure the that like can't we all just get along quote is just always comes off as such a strange thing as it's almost like this guy is put into this position where he's speaking for something and he's like i'm just a dude that got the shit kicked out of him now i'm like a spokesperson for uh what everybody
1: should be like doing afterwards right yeah i know it's um yeah i know it's really fucked up it's like uh <sighs> yeah yeah you kind of got to have it to Rodney King for like taking like his 15 minutes of fame, which, you know, I'm sure he'd rather not have. Mm -hmm. Um, Although it does seem like it probably like, oh my God, I was about to say something so like just like puritanical and white. I was going to say, seemed like it helped him get clean. But it's like, I, I don't yeah. care about that. That's not right. my fucking business. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, although I do know that usually people that are like in positions of being like super high on the streets and get beat down by police, that's kind of like the thing that's a wake up call, no matter, you know, what your yeah, sure. situation is, where you go what life would be better than this probably mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like not being super fucked up and getting mm-hmm. beat up by police but again i recognize that that's not you know fuck so it. do whatever you want rodney king fucking power to you but and i don't know what he actually did but it seems like yeah if you're getting beaten by like the sort of like uh he used the same word again twice in an episode. Uh, hegemonic stormtroopers, and mm-hmm. you can come away and be like, uh, "Hey, everybody, can we chill? Yeah, Like, can we fucking dial it back a little bit? hmm. It, it's a really good use of a platform, um, and I say that as like, you know, I saw the stand-up. His dude, um, God, his name's Curtis Cook, I think. Um, I'm going to make sure of that before I start crediting somebody's stand-up to the wrong dude. Um, but he's a dude I follow on Twitter. Um, oh, he seems, Curtis Cook. he seems cool.
0: Yeah, following yeah. him on Twitter uh, must be a significant choice that you made.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, but he's like... Uh, <laughs> you know It's like I need to look up To see if Martin Luther King Said that shit um, <laughs> uh, I, You know You guys think Black people know a lot About Martin Luther King But uh, And I don't want to Like do his bit here But essentially right. The the point was like He's like the The only thing I know About Martin Luther King Is that he's white people's favorite (laughs) protester because everybody else was like stop being racist or we'll kill you Uh (laughs) Martin Luther King was like stop being racist or I'll write a strongly worded letter and they're like this guy is our guy yeah so I don't really know too much about him you know and like uh so I suppose can't we all just get along in, in a very real way could be seen as like it's pretty half stepping bullshit, but mm-hmm. it was also like such a rallying cry at the time um, for a pretty divided nation. I mean, like, with like between OJ and everything. Oh, this is fascinating. Would you, for, for more on my Beaks doesn't know what he's talking about, history of LA in the early 2000s, you can check out my podcast, um, The uh, Beaks. Is on the Clippers. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: Clippers are good now, though. They weren't then. Yeah, they weren't uh, then. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. So, what? The, the one thing I do find kind of interesting about this song is that it, like, how much it stays in like a sort of like that like meandering Broadway's. No chorus, mm-hmm. kind of thing, but there's also like real elements of like sort of maybe even like early mid '90s hardcore in it, like okay, a lot of like you <laughs> mm-hmm. like there's a lot of like uh, that's kind of like Madball. It's got a, yeah, it's got a more interesting like. Sort of hybridization Mm -hmm. um, of of the sound of the broadways than a lot of stuff that I at least tended to pull off in this band.
0: Yeah, totally. It's funny that that you say that because I think when I heard this song, I was like, "This seems like a sort of like a forgotten step in between." Guided tour Chicago and uh, the Broadways
1: yeah I think this song I think this song definitely paves a huge uh, paves the way a lot for the thinking that would go into like the construction of it's... early Lawrence harm songs um, because this one and another one that we'll probably talk about soon are like, the the ones that I took away from this bit one you know like Oh, this works actually mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. What else can I do that's like this But in the case of this song Well, it's weird because with this song It's like the It is a very political song But at the same time It's like a It's like a Homage to a piece of art So yeah, I didn't write it as a political song Even though Uh it
0: there's that filtration of like the internal internalizing of um you know what's happening that right that i think is absolutely uh an important piece to everything yeah. that you write
1: right but like it still comes off as like a kind of like dumb privileged white guy singing about like things he doesn't really totally understand but sure I mean and, that, and that was
0: all there was a lot of white people on that like i m d b cast list,
1: yeah, but it's it's something that like I sort of reckoned with by the time I got to the Lawrence Arms and I was like, all right, none of that,
2: okay, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm.
1: don't need to go there so much, um and I mean, like there's been a few missteps here and there with that, like uh now, nah, even the guided tour of Chicago song, which it was. It was definitely written from like a white kid's perspective, like that's like right there in in the fucking song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I, th- I think that this was the last growing pain of that. Yeah. Kind of.
2: Yeah.
1: You know.
0: I think those 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 are good things to take away from this. It's it's funny, like you know the. There's, I think, a deep necessity you the broadways for you to exist as the writer that you are now
1: oh 100 yeah i know it was like the it was like the bilge pipe mm-hmm. um you know like it absolutely anything i had in me or have in me that's like good and pure was like totally swamped with all of this like sort of, like, um, scholastic, um, like, arcana, you know, kind of bullshit mm-hmm. that, like, I felt was so important. And then it's like, okay, I need to push all this out. And then it's like... oh no, this sucks. This isn't art. Like, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. But it's like I had to do it in order to get there. Yeah. Like, I needed to... I mean, I guess this is like, if you listen to this in order to glean any insights into how to write songs or whatever, it's like, proving how smart you are is uh, not appropriate in a song. <laughs> I have learned that the hard way. Uh-huh. Hopefully you could just listen to a podcast and fucking learn it. And I'm not smart at all, but I used to like fucking try to make sure that everybody thought I was. Uh you know how
0: much do you, how much do you think this is a product of you just being in college
1: 100 yeah, percent. yeah i mean but yeah yeah i mean it was it was college it was sociology it was yeah like my mom always says like the broadways were like if punk rock was a sociology class mm-hmm. for for freshmen yeah. <laughs> I like you know, your mom. Yeah, you no, know, she's cool. I like her. You know. <laughs> um, but but she's right. Also,
0: not necessarily the news. Um, this is, I think, such a slept-on dance song.
1: It's a jammer, dude. Holy like, shit! Yeah. It, okay, first of all, it's this is a song that's like a lot like point of no return by um, um, Immortal Technique and then it's like it's about every single thing that's ever happened in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> that's an injustice from like the dinosaurs to the future um, but you know it's like it definitely is like it, it, it's just like you know it's like like uh, fucking private prisons and then the next line is like dropping bombs, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, you mm-hmm. know, like, like, I'm maybe not giving credit where credit's due there because I think it is about, like, at the time, it's hard to think about now, but like, we had just experienced the 24-hour news cycle for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. And so, to see the 24-hour news cycle in action, and I'm really speaking out of school, cause I don't know what Dan's intentionality is, but I, I'm guessing based on the title, you know, yeah. he sees this and it's just like, here's what it is. Fabricated crisis, twenty hundred thousand new police, profitable prisons, drop a bomb, you know, mm-hmm. patriotism, you know, like, you know, just like ding, 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 yeah. ding, 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 ding. And, and so I, I assume that's like what the, um, intentionality is there. And it, is effective if you know that and keep that in mind. It also, if you don't, sounds kind of hilarious. Like it's just like a litany of problems, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, no, this song is great. This song actually, like, affected the way that I write songs in two very key ways. First of all, the opening chord progression is a chord progression that I would have never used before being in a band where I was playing it. hmm And it, it sort of opened up the world of chords five and six to me, which oh. is where I have stayed. Um, but uh-huh. really before that I would never use any chords besides like the, the big four.
2: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: And, um, so that, that and then the other thing that this song turned me on to is the fact that, um, and I just transposed it to A, which is a bit of why I was having a hard time with this. This song is actually in B. Mm-hmm. So the first note is um, G sharp, right? And... It goes G-sharp to E, mm-hmm. and that key, I realized, nobody can sing in live. Everybody mm-hmm. is out of tune. One time, this is the, the big thing where Dan spit on me on stage because we started playing this song, and he couldn't find the key because you can't find the key in B. Mm-hmm. It's just impossible Nobody can Not just Dan Me Chris Matt Skiba Dan Andreano Tim McGrath I don't care Who you are You can't find the key In B It's just not easy mm-hmm. I mean once you find it You can lock in But Yeah There's something about The way the waves Move through Like our Mortal coil Or whatever That it's just hard Yeah yeah, And yeah. And, uh, and so I was like I'll never write another song In this key And then all the songs I had Written in that, based in no small part on how fucking ripping this song was. Uh-huh.
2: I just
1: eh, nudged to see.
2: Yeah, totally. Never had a
0: problem. Totally. Man. Everybody at home, I hope you're taking notes. Steal that and uh, fucking write some words. Um, What I love about this song, it's something that Dan does so well. Especially on the honor system records. Um it's just got this like real quiet evening, like nobody else is awake in the house feeling and like this song and the way that it like presents and the way that it flows, it's like you fall asleep with the with the TV on and it's just like here's what here's what you dream of. And it's just so... Dan writes such sad music that's, like, indebted to, like, Fugazi, writes Spring, um. and there's just such a, like, deep melancholy to it, and this is, like, one of the best examples of his that I Yeah, no, out this there. is,
1: uh... It's funny, I would never think of this song as being sad, I think of it as being very angry, but, mm-hmm. um... Yeah, I it I mean, he definitely has a he's got a natural ability to start with something very hyper personal
2: mm-hmm.
1: and push it out. Yeah. You know? And um it's cool. I mean it's 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 always It's always how this is an effect, like how this is affecting me as like a person that is viewing what's happening with sort of tied hands, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's never just like, just like dictum that comes down from like some mount that's like, yeah, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. I hate this, you know? Mm -hmm. It's always it's always like couched in a very personal and often sad and like uh you know, unable to cope narrator because I mean, how can you? Mhm.
0: I wish Dan had more records.
1: Yeah, well, I mean he does have the like the Ratasuzzi record and uh mm-hmm. the uh Rise and Run record Which I think a lot of people don't have, Like people have slept on those too Yeah And Like if you don't like Red Asusia, I don't think you wish Dan would have more records uh, I can't remember
0: know? the last time I listened to that record Honestly It is
1: good It's yeah. It's for those of you out there Who've never heard it It's um, Dan Hannaway's he has, it, It's It's more like Honor systemy Kind of stuff But it's like Disguised As like Almost like it's Disguised as butt rock Like it, mm-hmm. it's It's like I think there's like a, An attempt for it to be Like more of a Queens of the Stone Age thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: But it's got like A lot more of like a Buck cherry thing Going on <laughs> where, Like But it's The thing is The songwriting is Is there Yeah you know it's just like the the trappings around it are written by somebody that's not a native to that kind of music mhm you know
0: not a native to buck cherry no. <laughs> second grade sells um one of only a couple uh Chris songs where he really goes for it on the politics front
1: yeah um, this one there's like they were getting into like the um hook your finger into your collar and like pull it out and go "Mm," (laughs) section of this um (laughs) this like reads a lot more like an essay than it Does a song and Mm -hmm. I don't think the song is great. Um, I think it's this is a lot more like screaming down from on high to me than like the what you know what this does is like from like a human perspective. Um, But it's like very ambitious. I mean, it like definitely goes all over the place. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, it's um, a lot of parts in the song yeah um and
0: uh yeah this is one of those that just like goes and as a listener you kind of like lose focus pretty easily
1: and it's like so chris definitely did this a lot in um the broadways
2: Mm -hmm. you know
1: like a great example would be um, Nautical Mile, where yeah. that whole song is, like, all over the place. But if it didn't have, like, at the end, And if it comes down to just you and I Standing on the last corner in the last town of the last
2: city
1: mm. In the burning world, you'll still have someone on your side If it didn't have that part, Mm-hmm. The song would just be a mess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you like you listen, you're like, okay, I'll go on this like fucking nine minute drive because at the end of it there's like a fucking beautiful cascading waterfall. You uh-huh. know? Like you don't go on a nine minute drive to just like sit in a high V parking lot and just like fucking <laughs> look at the wall. You know? Um right. This song is more the second one, I think. Mhm. Like, I think that, like, tears are not enough section at the end, and then, like, the instrumental is, like, sort of like a... I think it's an attempt. Obviously, it's, like, it's got that, like, booming, huge, like, fucking intent. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it really works. For sure. But, I mean, like, that's as much my fault is anyone's you know it's like the it's the baseline that i had or whatever you know like uh-huh i just i just think the whole like but listen we're we're gonna get to it more sounds like this very soon
0: we'll get to um next week mm-hmm. um this has been uh broken van uh episode one of uh, i i'm having a fun time Me too. yeah days. recapping the broadways getting into a little history and looking at uh the hits and the misses as far as songs go but um yeah this is our podcast it's called road to the skeleton coast there was a record uh that came out uh a few months ago called skeleton coast by the lawrence arms that's why we started the podcast you all should get a physical copy of this because as we discussed earlier artwork it's just so nice to have in your hands whether it be a vinyl record or a cd both are available at epitaph.com
2: and True. uh
1: you've you've really you know i wish somebody would come out with an album where it's like they're <laughs> this package speaking of artwork as we were like all the, the biggest songs they ever did, mm-hmm. and then, like, a uh, sort of photo essay of their wife nude. And they can call it the hits and the misses. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good, right?
2: That's
0: fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> patreon.com slash better <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week thank you friends
2: bye, bye, bye. <laughs> <laughs>